What should they look like? What are they for? And what's God got to do with any of it? So for the next few table talks, we're going to think about this very big subject. What does the Bible teach about it and how do we apply the Bible's teaching? We'll look at husbands and wives and singleness and parents and children. And we'll at least touch on issues such as cohabitation, divorce and homosexuality. Our next two table talks after tonight will focus on roles that are specific to men and women. And rather than trying to talk myself about women's roles, I've asked Megan to do that for me. So as our plan is at the moment, Megan will be the speaker at the next table talk. That's in May. But what we're going to do this afternoon is think about the big picture of roles and relationships. And it goes without saying that all of what I'm going to say is countercultural. But that's just who we are as Christians. We're called to conform to God's patterns, not the patterns that we see in the world around us. And I'm hoping this afternoon that you will have questions and comments at the end of this. If not, I can ask you some questions. And I realize that the issue of rules can be a very sensitive subject. And so before we get into the details of specific roles and relationships, we're going to step back this afternoon and look at this issue as a whole. You could say we're going to look at the forest and then we'll look at the trees on other occasions. And when we do look at this as a big picture, we discover that all of us have both a common calling and we have a particular focus in our lives. In other words, when it comes to this issue, all of us, first of all, stand on a level. We are equal. We have a common calling. And then within that equality, each of us has been given differing responsibilities, depending on whether we are a parent or a child, a husband or a wife, and so on. Each of us has a particular focus in our roles and relationships. And as I've prepared this for tonight, I've drawn a lot from a very helpful article written by a man called David Paulison. The two headings that I just mentioned are his, and I'm also going to quote from him several times. And his article is based on a passage from Ephesians that deals with roles and relationships. It's a passage we'll come back to on future table talks, but I want to start by reading all of this passage. So if you have a Bible, I don't have it on the screen behind me, so you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using one of the uh, standard church Bibles, it's page 1176, and I've forgotten to look up the page in the other large print, but it's Ephesians 5, and I'm going to read verses 21 down to uh, 5, verse 21, down to chapter 6, verse 9. This will give us an overview of some of the things we're going to come back to on other months. Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he does himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is God's word. If we set out the roles and relationships that are mentioned in this passage, we find three relationships and six roles. So we have husband and wife, parent and child, master and slave. And we could translate that last one loosely into bosses and employees. So what I'd like you to do now for a moment is look at those sets of relationships and work out how many of those roles you personally fill. For example, if you're a woman who's married with children, and at least one of your parents are still alive, and you work for someone, and you also have someone reporting to you at work, then you fill five of those six roles. Wife, parent, child, because your parents are still alive, Employee and master to the person who's reporting to you. So take a moment to look at the screen and work out how many of those apply to you. Now some of you are retired and you're single and you're without children and your parents are no longer alive. 
So I'm going to add four other roles that Paul doesn't mention here, although he does deal with them elsewhere. Ruler and citizen, church leader and church member. So take another moment to add the roles you fill in these relationships. Add them on to the earlier ones. Altogether, there are ten roles listed on the screen. And the maximum number you could fill, I'm assuming, is nine, since you can't fill both of the marriage roles. Does anyone find themselves in nine roles? Do we have a prime minister among us? <laughs> well, how about eight roles? Seven? Six, five, four, <laughs> three, two, one. Okay, so we're all gathered up in the net somewhere there. And the point of that exercise is to show that we're all involved in a variety of roles and relationships. And for most of us, our roles change over the course of our life. Sometimes our roles almost completely reverse. For example, although we continue to be children, as long as our parents are alive, some of us will eventually find ourselves in the role of parents to our parents. Some of you have experienced that. Time can reverse the roles. Well, now that we've established that we are in a varied web of human roles and relationships, I want us to think about our common calling. If we drop off those last two relationships for a moment and just focus on the ones mentioned in this passage in Ephesians, what we find is that each one of us who belongs to Christ is in the role of wife child, and slave of the Lord. Man, how on earth are we in the role of wife? We'll look again at verse 25 of the passage we read. Here it is on the screen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you belong to the church of Jesus Christ, you are part of the bride of Christ. Christ loves the church in the way that a husband is to love his wife. And the church is to love Christ the way a wife is to love her husband, by living in submission to him. Paul said that in verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That is the common calling of every Christian. Male or female. And with respect to God, each one of us is in the role of child. We find this earlier in Ephesians. Paul says at the very beginning, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, near the beginning, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, 
follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Every Christian, whether he or she is nine or 90 years old, is a child of God. A child who's called to honor and obey his or her father in heaven. And each one of us is in the role of slave. Call it servant if you want, but slave is probably the more accurate translation. We read it together in chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Every Christian is under the authority of Christ, called to live in obedience to Christ. And that includes Christians who are masters in their workplace. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What all of this means is that when we begin to talk about the specifics of our human relationships, we cannot come at this trying to overthrow authority. Nor can we come at this trying to domineer with authority. We are all under authority. And this is how Dave Paulison sums it up. He says, you may be a man, but you are a wife. You may have kids, but you are a child. You may have people answering to you, but you are a slave. Each of us in our core identity is meant to live as a subordinate. He goes on. We all receive the love, provision, attention, mercy, protection, and upbuilding grace of our husband, father, and Lord. Christ is head, leader, master, and dominant partner. We are subjects, followers, and dependents. We stand under him. This subordinate relationship with the God who rules us and cares for us must color every aspect of our lives. So before we even start to talk about our roles in human relationships, we have to grasp our roles in relation to God. And the Bible tells us those roles are the same for every single one of us. Wife, child, and slave. On that very fundamental level, we all stand on the same level. We are all peers before our God. And that means that if we're called to lead in any human relationships, we are called to lead in submission to God. And that means we will lead in humility. Because we're no better than the people we're leading. It means we will lead with patience and generosity and with a tender heart. We will lead genuinely seeking the good of those we lead, to nurture them and provide for them. Because that's how our heavenly husband, father, and master leads us. 
And our position before God also means if we are called to a role of submission in any human relationship, our attitude will not be one of rebelling against authority or despising authority. Why? Because we understand that authority in itself is not bad. It can be badly misused, but authority is part of God's order. We know that because we are under his authority. So when we understand our roles of wife, child, and slave of God, it helps us, on the one hand, avoid the sin of insubordination to human authority. And it also helps us avoid the sin of using human authority in an authoritarian way, a harsh way. When we understand our position before God, we will neither despise human authority, because it reflects God's authority over us, and nor will we use authority in a harsh, domineering way. Because that's not how our Heavenly Father and husband and master relates to us. When we have authority, when we're given authority, we're to use it to nurture and care for and protect, to serve the well-being of others, never to lord it over others, never to be harsh or unfair or self-serving. That's our common calling. And when we understand that, then we're ready to think about your particular focus. We've already seen that many of us have various roles. You might be both a wife and a mother and a teacher, for example. And the various roles fall into either roles of submission or roles of authority. Now, maybe there are better words than submission and authority. If you don't like those two, you can think of something else. But the point is, if we take these three relationships that are mentioned in Ephesians 5 and 6, you go back to those again, we find that three of the roles call for God-honoring leadership and three call for God-honoring submission. So the lady who's a wife and mother and teacher is called to submission in her marriage relationship and leadership in her parental and work relationships. Or think about a young man who still lives at home and who starts working as an apprentice. He is certainly under authority at work, at least initially, and he's still under authority in some sense at home although not in the same way as he used to be. This stage, his parents are probably going to be pretty hands-off, but they still set the house rules. At this point in his life, the young man is under authority in every relationship he's involved in. Eventually, he may take on roles where he's called to lead. And both this lady and man in our examples, even when they lead in certain areas, they are always called to submission to Christ in every area. 
No one is above authority. That's true even of the husband and father who owns his own business. He's still wife, child, and slave of the Lord. And once again, Dave Paulison is very helpful here. This is what he says. We might liken this to an orchestra and choir assembled to perform a symphony in praise of the glory of God's grace. The common calling defines the key, rhythm, melodic themes, and lyrics which all performers and instruments hold in common as they submit to the conductor. The particular focus defines the distinctive parts performed by each instrument and voice, the timbre and harmony of bassoon and violin, of soprano and baritone. All of us are making a contribution to the God-glorifying symphony. It's what our lives are for. But we have not all been given the same notes to play. Some of us have a part to play where the greater focus may be on authority. And for others, the greater focus may be on submission. Those might be the roles God has placed us in. But we are all equally in submission to the conductor, God himself. What I've tried to do is to set the scene for us, to lay a bit of a foundation for what we're going to look at in the next table talks. And as I mentioned, Megan will be doing the next one, focusing on the roles of women. And her title at the moment is Women in Church, at Home, and on Their Own. That'll be next time. But at this point, are there any questions? or comments with regard to this. I don't think we have a mic, so if you say it, I'll just repeat it back so everyone can hear it. Well, let me ask you one question. What roles does Jesus fulfill? Yeah, submission. Is that correct? Well, let me ask you to look up a couple of verses. I don't have them on the screen. But what I'll do is I'll read... Uh, I'll read a few references and maybe I'll ask for a hand so I know who's looking each one up. John chapter 5, verse 30. Would someone raise their hand if they're willing to look that up? John chapter 5, verse 30. Thank you. Then John chapter 6, verse 38. Thank you. John chapter 8, verses 28 to 29. Someone look those up. First Corinthians eleven verse three. 
Someone willing to look that up? First Corinthians 11, verse 3. Thank you. <clears throat> and then I'll read a, another passage at the end of that slightly longer one. So if you could um, read out for me, please, John chapter 5, verse 30. And just as you listen to these, think about what, what this means in terms of what we've been talking about and um, what, where Jesus is personally. So could you read out John 5, 30? Loud enough for us to hear, please. Thank you. And then see him again for John 6.38. Thank you. John 8.28 and 29. Thank you. And First Corinthians eleven three. The head of Christ is God. Speaking about God the Father. Now, as we read the New Testament, there's no doubt whatsoever that Jesus is equal to his Father. He's God. And yet the New Testament is equally clear that he lives in submission to his Father's will. We never read in the New Testament Jesus saying, the Father always does what pleases me. But we've just read Jesus being very willing to say, I always do what pleases him. I think that helps us as we think about this whole area to know that the Son of God himself is willing to submit to his own father. And I think the most remarkable example of this is, you might want to all turn there, 1 Corinthians 15. In order to get the flow of this, I'm going to read from verses 22 down to verse 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Paul is speaking about the future. And those who are raised because of their faith in Christ, he says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign... It's Jesus, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself. It's God the Father who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, that's given everything over to the Father, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Those of us who are tempted to chafe 
on this whole idea of authority, I think it's very helpful for us to think about the Son of God himself and his glad submission to his own Father. But let me ask you another question, unless you have anything coming out of that. And do you have any questions arising from what we've just read? But what if the authority that is over you is harsh authority? What if you find yourself in the position of submission or subordination and you are under harsh authority? I've heard someone say, not not here but someone else, that I only submit to authority if it's godly authority. Is that correct? Do you have any response to that? If it's not right, why is it not right? Yeah, thank you. Let's look at that. It's Second uh, Peter, or sorry, First Peter, chapter two, verse eighteen. You might want to look at that. Now, the context of this is a particular master-slave relationship. 1 Peter 2.18 Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, is that all that there is to say about that? Does the Bible add to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the comment was Jesus submitted to non-godly authority. So that's more in the realm then of we've seen slaves and masters, citizens and rulers. Are there any balancing comments that Scripture makes on on those areas that would fill out the picture a bit? Yeah. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible does not call us to unquestioning obedience to authorities who are demanding that we disobey God. And, and the reference was Acts 5.29, where the apostles are pulled in by the ruling Jewish authorities and told, ordered by those in authority over them, to stop preaching about Jesus Christ. And Peter says to them, you judge for yourselves, members of the Sanhedrin, if it's right for us to obey man rather than God. And Peter went on to say, we must obey God rather than man. So when God's authority is challenged by those in governmental authority, our allegiance is to God. So that is a bit of a caveat or a balance to this thing about submitting to harsh authority. I'll give you another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
Verse 21, again Paul's talking about slaves. He says, were you a slave when you were called? I mean, that means called, called to Christ. Don't let it trouble you. In other words, don't think that because you're a Christian now, you should never be under human authority. Although, he says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Sometimes slaves could buy their way out or they were offered after a certain number of years freedom. So what Paul is saying there is, if you're under harsh authority and there's a way out for you, you don't have to stay under that harsh authority. We could apply that today and say if you're in a terrible work situation, while you're there you owe respect, but that doesn't mean you can't switch jobs if the opportunity opens up for you. Something else that scripture tells us is that we are never, ever to pay back evil for evil to anyone. In Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So we may look for other opportunities, but we never have an excuse in a situation to respond with evil. Even when we are in a position as citizens of, say, having to resist the government for some reason, we have to do it in a godly way. We have to do it in a way that respects the human being and the office that's above us, even while we might oppose the sin of the person who's holding the office. Any other comments arising from that? Thank you. Thomas Moore on the scaffold said, I died the king's good servant, but God's person. Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. Thomas Moore, even in the situation of his own martyrdom, was able to say, I die the king's servant, but God's first. Now, Norman was just pointing out that Thomas Moore, while he was being executed, said, I die the king's servant, but God's first. Which I think is what those scripture passages we looked at kind of bring out. Scripture gives us both. We, we can't just be the sort of person who butts our head against every kind of authority just because it's an authority. But we are... God trumps everything in our lives. Mm-hmm. 
That was uh, the example of Daniel, who served faithfully and yet was willing to make that stand on particular issues that would, would have compromised his faithfulness to God. Anything else on this? Yeah, thanks. The comment was about um, those who are married to unbelievers and the, the comment by Peter was to submit to them and actually be a witness to them in that way and perhaps lead them to Christ. And if I just throw this in, I don't have a Bible passage to back this particular one up, but I think it's important to always include alongside this. In marriages, if a partner is in physical danger, I don't think there's any demand whatsoever that they stay in that situation. If you're in physical danger, you get out of the situation. And you work out the uh, the biblical responsibilities you have after that point in terms of where you stand about any remarriage or anything else. But the Bible does not call us to stay in a situation where we're in physical danger. Well, we'll pick up a lot of this more specifically in in months to come. But again, let me just close our time in prayer. And if you have questions, because we're not just dealing with this on one night, if you have questions, you could give them to me. You could give them anonymously if you want. Get them to me via somebody else on a piece of paper, and we can try to deal with those on other nights if you have things that are in your mind that you want us to try to think about ahead of time and and address, please do that. Let me pray then and we'll be finished for tonight. Father, we realize that these are difficult things and for some of us here tonight, these are things that are very difficult for us because of particular situations in our lives we We find this whole area maybe confusing, hurtful, and yet we do want to, as your children, be obedient to you. We want to see how we can obey you and honor you in our own very specific situations. So I pray that you will help us, give us hearts that are soft towards you, even if they have been badly bruised and broken because of various human abuses or or circumstances. Father, may we never lose confidence in you and your word and its, its goodness for each one of us. So help us as we think about this and maybe try to apply something from tonight to our lives this week. We ask that you'll help us 
and lead us as a fellowship in all of our various relationships to honor you. As we, we see this picture of the, the orchestra and the choir behind us, you are our conductor, and we want together to bring a symphony of praise to you with our lives. So we ask that you'll help us. Amen.